It's so great to be with you today. I just want to shout out our Awatuki campus, our Mesa campus, and our online campus. Yeah, and we, you know, what's so cool about this season is we actually have people worshiping with us from around the city, around the nation. So, hey, I want to shout out Ed in Florida, EJ in Ohio right now. Man, I saw people from Washington watching. Right, And so what's so cool is if you're at our Mesa campus or our Awatuki campus right now, you should just be reminded that you're worshiping right now with people all over the country. How cool is that? That is epic. It's epic. I love that. So, hey, we're in a series uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, and he is one person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's oftentimes the least talked about person of the Trinity. He is God, and that's so cool because he's also your friend and your helper and your comforter and your counselor, and you can have a relationship with him without being crazy. We believe that. Like, like, unfortunately, you know, I've seen some places where, man, they, they really talk about the Holy Spirit a lot, but then it's like they're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, you know what I'm saying? And, and you see that, and you're like, ooh, that's not, that's not exactly what I had in mind. But I want you to know that you can have a vibrant, healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit and not be a weirdo, not be a crazy person. He wants to be your helper and your comforter. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit for that purpose. And if he comes from Jesus, you know he's good, right? And so, man, this is not a entry-level sermon that we're going to jump into today. This is a little bit more of an advanced Bible study. If that's okay, I'm going to share a lot of scripture. I hope that's cool with you. Uh, I think that's always like a, a beneficial thing. You know, who cares what I think? Here's what the Bible says. Um, and, and so if you don't catch every detail of what we go over in this message, that's okay, because you're going to get the bottom line. And the bottom line is more Holy Spirit is better. Okay, that's what I want for all of us in our lives. You can have more of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I was thinking this weekend about how when I was a young kid and we would play, you know, with the other kids from the neighborhood in, in the yard and stuff, and, and like a, a lot of young boys, our imaginations would run wild and we would pretend we were getting attacked by evil villains and zombies and stuff, and we would pretend that we have make-believe powers. Any of you ever pretend that when you were little? You know, please, thank you for not leaving me hanging, all you other guys. You're looking at me like, no, I think you're crazy. Were your friends imaginary too? But we'd be running around like, I can, I can shoot fireballs out of my hand, and like, I, I can fly, and I can make myself invisible, which is really hard to pretend. Like, you can't see me. Yes, I can. No, you can. I'm invisible. So we'd be like imagining that we had these powers, and I was thinking about how as you grow older, this desire for power never really goes away. We all inherently want to feel powerful and in control, but oftentimes we find ourselves feeling the opposite, powerless and out of control. But God, he created and designed us to exercise authority and dominion over creation, and that's why we have this desire for power, but we've lost that because of sin, yet we can restore what was taken from us by first accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, which brings power over sin and death. And then we see in Scripture, and we're going to talk about this today, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to give us the power to live for him in this world. 
So the Holy Spirit actually gives us the power to live for Jesus fully and bring other people to experience new life in Jesus. So I want to ask you this question today. Have you been baptized? It's a question, not very complicated, but the answer might be somewhat more complex than what you think. Because when you hear this question, have you been baptized, you might first think of water baptism. But what I'm going to talk about today is that I believe that that's only one of three baptisms that you can experience. And so I'll say this too up front, that there is like controversy and differences of opinions around this topic. And one of the things I love about our church is that we have people from different backgrounds and different denominational affiliations. And so sometimes there is disagreement over secondary issues. And that's cool because we can still um, have different opinions and be a part of the same church family because we do agree on all the essential issues that really matter. So I just want you to know you can disagree with some of the things I say today um, and I'll still love you and you can still be a part of this church. But I I think what I'm going to show you will be helpful for a lot of you. So here are the three baptisms. I'm going to go over them really quick. First, when you accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit transforms your heart and regenerates regenerates your spirit from death to life. And what he does is he immerses you into the body of Christ fully. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Okay, so we see that. Who's the one doing the baptizing here? The one spirit. And he baptizes us into one body. What's that talking about? The body of Christ. So the the family of God, the body of Christ, like you're part of the body of Christ and the spirit of God, he fully immerses you into the body of Christ. So you're not like almost a part of God's family. You're not kind of a part of God's family if you keep your act together. You're fully baptized, immersed into God's family. Yes, he knows what you did. He knows about your past, but you've been forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. And God has accepted you fully into his family. So this happens for every Christian. You have been been made a part of the body of Christ. That's so good. And here's the second baptism. Disciples baptize us in water. So I think of Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we see this happen in church frequently. People get baptized in water and they go under the water. And it's not that they just needed a bath. It's not that, you know, we wanted to find some radical measure to prove that you're really a Christian. This is actually a biblical practice. You see it all throughout the New Testament, that when you go under that water, it's like a representation that the old you is dead. Like you would put a body in the ground. The old sinful you who did the things you don't want to do, who hurt people, who defied God, oh, we, we buried that guy. He's gone. She's gone. And when you come up out of that water, it's a representation that you are a new creation raised to life in Jesus Christ. Now God looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus clothing you. I mean, how good is this? I love this. And and so we see that even in the Old Testament, there is imagery of this. 
And, and again, this is a little bit more deep, but I know a lot of you are going to track with me here. Throughout all of the Bible, you'll see patterns and images that repeat themselves. So the more you read of the Bible, the more you're like, you know what? This reminds me of something else I saw. I've seen this before, or I've seen something like this before. It's because God's really trying to get his message across. So he repeats these patterns and images. And so one of the things you see is that in the Old Testament, there's a reference to God's people being water baptized. And it's the Israelites when they come out of Egypt through the Red Sea. As they cross through those waters, it was a sign, but more than a sign, that the old them, the slaves, were left behind in Egypt and the new them emerged as free people on their way to the promised land. In the same way, before you accepted Jesus Christ, you were a slave to sin. But now in Jesus, you've been made free. I mean, how, how good is this? Come on. Oh. I, love, I love talking about this. Okay, so here, here's one thing. I like to talk to people who are argumentative or skeptical about what I'm talking about because I know you're out there. Okay, so people... <laughs> People will argue against what I'm talking about right now and say that there's only one baptism. And this is the verse they'll read, Ephesians 4, verse 5. It says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay, so I can see how this would be confusing. You would say, no, Ryan, look, there's only one baptism. And I would say, true, that's what it says, but look at, what it, look at this. It says, there is one Lord. There is one Lord, right? But we know that there is one God, yet he's expressed in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they all agree. Nobody would say Jesus isn't God. Nobody would say the Holy Spirit isn't God, right? But we know that there is one Lord expressed in three persons. And in the same way, there is one baptism, but it's being expressed in three forms. So that, that passage isn't wrong. But what I'm talking about today is going to clear up some confusion, I think. And then here's the third one. Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to focus on today. In Matthew 3, 11, this is what it says. John the Baptist says this. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, so this is John the Baptist. That shows you there's at least one Baptist who already believes in the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so if you read this passage, you have to see that most Christians already agree there's got to be at least more than one baptism. You know, we believe that, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us in the body of Christ. We believe that the, we are supposed to be baptized in water. But then John the Baptist, he knows a lot about baptism, is telling us that one is coming. He was talking about who? Jesus. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, so this is where things get really important here. When we talk about there being one baptism or three baptisms, the way you can kind of figure this out is it's not just a theological issue, it's not just a logical issue, but it's a grammatical issue. Who is the one doing the baptizing? 
That's how you can really kind of discern what's going on here, right? We know that the Holy Spirit is the one who baptizes us into the body of Christ. We know that other Christians, any Christian can baptize you in water. It doesn't have to be a pastor. It can be your, your friend, your father, anybody, right, can baptize you in water. And then it said Jesus is the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. So it's a grammatical issue as well. Who is the one doing the baptizing? Now, this is what's really cool. This is how important the baptism with the Holy Spirit is. God included this issue in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels, which mean they're the same, they're very similar, and they all cover the first, uh, the first rather, the, the second years of Jesus' uh, ministry in the third year. And then John focuses more on the first two years. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar, so you'll read those sometimes. If you just read through them chronologically, some people will tell me, like, I started reading through Matthew, and then Mark, and then Luke, and I started getting bored because I was like, I've read this already. And that's true. Like, you'll get a lot of the same stuff, and then John covers a lot of different stuff. And you'll see this. There are very few things that are covered in all four Gospels. Here's what they are. Here is what is covered in all four Gospels. The, death, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, those are pretty important subjects, right? Like if you don't get that, you're going to have some problems. It's essential for being a Christian. Then there is the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus fed 5,000 people, um, which I love that because that just shows you how much God approves of eating. Amen. <laughs> he just loves that, and I appreciate it. And then here's the third thing the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So there's Matthew 3.11, we just read right here. Then here's what it says in Mark 1.8. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Repeating the same theme, Luke 3.16, John the Baptist answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? And then John 1.33, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Holy Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That theme repeats itself throughout all four Gospels, which tells you that God thought it was pretty important for us to figure this out. So I'm going to talk about salvation, water, and spirit. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus our example? Not a trick question, just like the bracelet says. What would Jesus do? Okay, so we want to look at the life of Jesus and then follow his example. So think about this. Our first step as a Christian is to become saved, to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, have our sins forgiven, and be saved. So if you're a Christian, you can say, I'm saved. I've been saved. Saved from what? From sin, from death, and from hell. That's pretty awesome. So let me ask you this. Was Jesus saved? Well, okay, I know you're hesitating. You're like, I don't know. The answer is no, he wasn't saved because he was born righteous, he was born flawless, and he never sinned. So he didn't need to be saved. He came to do the saving. Tracking? Okay, so here's the next thing. Was Jesus baptized in water? Yes, he was. And so he did that, I think, one, as an example for us. 
He didn't have to die to his old self, but he was setting an example for us that we should follow in his steps and be baptized in water. And then was Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit? Okay, when, yes, yes, right after he was baptized with water. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit descended on him like a dove. Let me just point this out. It didn't say that a dove descended on him like the Holy Spirit. And I just want to make sure everybody cracks this. Like, the Holy Spirit is not a dove. Aren't you grateful for that? You know? Like, you're praying and you're like, God, send me a sign. And then a dove flies down. Caca! Like, lands on your Oh, oh. Gross. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested on Jesus. And so Jesus' baptism and, and then the Holy Spirit being poured out on him, this was the beginning of his ministry. After that moment, that's when he began his ministry. So let me just ask you this. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to minister, how much more do you think we do? If Jesus needed that power to do ministry, how much more do you need the Holy Spirit? I know I need him. In Acts 2.37, says this on the day of Pentecost. Now, when they heard this, they heard Peter preaching about Jesus. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he says, you got to repent. And we know that when we repent of our sins, that's part of the process of being saved. Be baptized. That's being baptized in water. And we're all supposed to be baptized in water. And I just want to say, if you haven't been baptized in water yet, that's an important step for you in your faith journey. The Bible says, be baptized. Jesus said, be baptized. What are you waiting for? Okay, and then it says, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's important. It says this in verse 39, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So as a Christian, have you been called by God? Yes, God has called you to himself. The Holy Spirit is the one who drew you to Jesus Christ. You didn't wake up one day and then all of a sudden just get real righteous or religious. The Holy Spirit enabled you to believe in Jesus. Let's, go, let's just remember that. Like God is the one who took the first step towards you. He came and got you when you were lost in sin like the prodigal son in the pigsty. And he enabled you to believe in Jesus. He opened your heart and then you stepped through the door and you said, yes, Lord, I received Jesus. How good is that? God has called you so the promise. And remember, this is a reference to what? The Holy Spirit, the promise is for you and for your children, all who are far off, all who live 2,000 years from now even. People live in Arizona and, and around the nation, right? The promise is for you. The promise is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's what we believe, and I want you to hear me clearly on this because sometimes this becomes a point of confusion. All Christians receive the Holy Spirit. I just want to say that again, because I got some emails last night. All, what do I mean by all? In the Greek, that means all y'all. <laughs> all Christians receive the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes we'll use this phrase, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We know that all 
Christians, I think almost all Christians, agree on that. But some people will say, you get all the Holy Spirit you need when you're saved. And you don't need Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit as a separate experience. And I understand that argument, but I like to try to build a case if I'm going to decide what I believe. I like to build a case, okay? And so here I'm going to give you three convincing passages that the baptism with the Holy Spirit by Jesus is a separate experience where we can receive more of the Holy Spirit, more power. And I want to just kind of read what the Bible says, and you can decide. Acts chapter 8, verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, so they believed, they believed the gospel about Jesus Christ. That means they were saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. They were baptized in water, both men and women. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. We know Peter and John. Those are Jesus' homeboys. They're coming out to help these new Christians. They came down. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Are you seeing this? They already believed. They were already baptized in water. We know all Christians receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when they believe. So what are Peter and John doing? They're praying for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, what is this talking about? He, he must be talking about a separate experience of receiving a greater portion of the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. Now, when you see a phrase like this, like fallen on, poured out upon, filled with, that's what was talking about, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so Peter and John came out. And apparently, you know, they knew that these new Christians, they still needed more of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can, I think, agree that Peter and John probably had pretty good theology. If they had gotten all the Holy Spirit they needed when they were saved or baptized in water, what were, they, what were Peter and John doing? No, they knew that, that these guys needed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit as a separate experience. You get the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. We're tracking on that? Okay, then you get baptized in water, and then there is this separate experience. And it doesn't mean that you're a better person when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you're like a super Christian and other people aren't as you know, worthy in God's sight. It's not what it's about. It's not about us. It's about enabling us to help lost people experience Jesus Christ. Okay, here's the second convincing passage, Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Then he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Right? We know that all Christians receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when they, when they believe. So what was he talking about? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So they went to the same church that some of you went to growing up. That's a pastor joke. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied, uh, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. 
On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So this is a separate experience, and you see they were speaking in tongues and prophesying like what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Okay, so sometimes, I want to point this out. People will say that this, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit was only for Acts chapter 2. That was for Acts chapter 2. That was a one-time thing. That's not for us today. That's not true. If you read the book of Acts, you see that this happens again and again and again. In Acts chapter 8, it happens in Samaria. That was five years after the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 10, it happens with the Gentiles. That was 10 years after the day of Pentecost. And in Acts 19, what we just read, that was 25 years after Pentecost. Wasn't a one-time thing. God's been pouring his spirit out on his people ever since the day of Pentecost. That was just the beginning. And do you know that next week is the week that as Christians, we celebrate the day of Pentecost? Coincidence? No. Jesus wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. and He wants to baptize you with power from heaven. So ask yourself, have I only received two baptisms? Have I ever experienced the Holy Spirit power falling on me? Some people, you know, they, they would say, but, you know, I already received the Holy Spirit when I got saved. And I would say again, yeah, you're right. You received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's with you. He's for you. Right? But that's not all there is. And I'm going to show you the third convincing passage as I come to the close of this message. I'm coming towards the end here. John 20, verse 21 says, As the Father has sent me, so even am I sending you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples right after he rose from the dead. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they saw Jesus was alive. He appeared among them like, he's alive. And then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. And you know Jesus had good breath. Like resurrected from the grave. I'm sure his breath smelled like potpourri. Amazing. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So do you think, just think about this. Do you think if Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, that they received the Holy Spirit? Would Jesus have been effective in trying to give them the Holy Spirit? It wasn't like, oh, shucks, it didn't take. I'll have to try again. No, no, they obviously received, the same way that all believers who believe in Jesus receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But then watch this. This is later, this is weeks later in Luke 24, 49, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, listen to this conversation. He says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. What's the promise? But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts 1, the conversation continues. And while staying with them, Jesus is still with them before he left. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What's the promise? The Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus knew that they still needed the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They had already received the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. Remember we just read about that? And now Jesus is telling them, wait, like wait for it. Because not many days from now, you're going to receive the promise 
the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and you need that. Jesus told them to wait. Don't go until you get this, because if you go without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to accomplish what God has called you to. I read about how Dwight L. Moody, who was a great man of God in his autobiography, and he led many people to salvation through his preaching. But in the early years of his ministry, he had no power. He said that he felt like his preaching had no power to accomplish life change in people. And so it talks about how in his church, in his early years, there would be these two little old ladies that would sit in the front row and pray during his sermons. And he said it started to get on his nerves. (laughs) And he was like, hey, you know, uh, prayer is good, but it'd be nice if you'd pay attention to my sermon. Like, what are you praying for? And they said, we're praying for you. And he's like, what are you praying for? We're praying for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, I've already received the Holy Spirit. And they said, no, we're praying for you to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so he went and he started searching through the scriptures and reading a lot of the scriptures we're talking about today. And he came to see that there was a separate experience of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so he started to pray and ask God for that experience in his life. And he talks about how it was not long after that, like weeks later, he was walking down Wall Street in New York and the Holy Spirit came upon him so powerfully that he was just overwhelmed. He described it as feeling like waves of liquid love washing over him. He actually had to get off the street and go into a friend's house because he was so overwhelmed by God's presence that he couldn't continue with what he was doing for a while. And he just described how after that, he was preaching the same sermons, but now they had power. And he went on and through his ministry, millions of people got saved. I know in my life, that I know in the, in the early years of my ministry, you know, I had my own reservations about the Holy Spirit. And there was a part of me that was apprehensive because I had also seen weird people do weird things. You know, and so I was like, oh, I don't want to be weird like some of those people. I want to be respectable. <laughs> I'm still trying to become respectable. <laughs> So then I actually started doing ministry, and it's one thing to talk about it, it's another thing to actually do it. And when I started to do it, I realized I can't do this in my own strength. I am not smart enough, I'm not wise enough, I don't have the strength, I don't have the courage, I don't have the words to say, I ain't good with the words. I need help, I need God's power, and I would rather have God's power than understand every little aspect of how he works. So I opened my heart to God and I just said, God, I want you, I want you to give me the promise, and I asked Jesus to baptize me with the Holy Spirit, and I, I apologize that I've been so apprehensive, and, and I have my own prideful need to understand and quantify every detail of how you do things. I know there's not necessarily an owner's manual for this, but you told me in your word that you would give me power to do ministry, and I want that power. I need that power, God, so give it to me so I can do ministry for your glory, Jesus, and that's that's what I began to pray, and I noticed that it started to change my life. I've experienced the difference between being saved versus being saved with the power to do ministry for God. Let me, let me tell you about this. Like, have you ever heard of this guy, Billy Graham? <laughs> Any of you ever heard of Billy Graham? He is like the OG preacher. 
A lot of you got saved listening to Billy Graham uh, preach on, on television. So he recently just passed away and went back to be with Jesus in heaven. But I read a book called The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham. It talks about how during the early years of Billy Graham's ministry, he was traveling and preaching uh, the gospel. And so I want to read you a few excerpts from this book. I don't normally do that, but I just think this is so interesting. So just bear with me. I, I hope this is interesting to you as well. It says that, yet, as he focused and energetically began preaching and receiving ever more invitations to speak, he sensed increasingly that his eloquence could not persuade or transform. This is Billy Graham's eloquence not being sufficient. His deepening humility was anchored in fact. He knew he was not an outstanding speaker and that his personal charisma was not enough to fulfill the great call he felt weighing upon him. He had entered a life of helplessness, helpless to do this work that was far larger than his capacities. So we're talking about Billy Graham feeling helpless and that his preaching could not transform. He met a young Welsh preacher in the UK named Stephen Olford, who taught on being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Billy Graham started praying for this with him together for a couple of weeks. Quite frankly, said Olford later, his preaching was very ordinary. Neither his homiletics nor his theology nor his particular approach made much of an impact. The next day, it goes on to say, Olford continued the instruction telling Billy that he must be broken like the Apostle Paul, letting God turn him inside out. And then watch this. He says, I can still hear Billy pouring out his heart in a prayer of total dedication to the Lord, said Olford. Finally, he said, this is Billy Graham talking, my heart is so flooded with the Holy Spirit. And we went from praying to praising. Okay, well, something, something happened. We were laughing and praising God, and Billy was walking back and forth across the room crying out, I have it, I'm filled. This is a turning point in my life. And he was a new man. And so let me just read you this last part, what happened after that, that night when Billy preached again, for reasons known to God alone, the place, which was only moderately filled the night before, was packed to the doors. As Billy rose to speak, he was a man absolutely anointed. Members of the audience came forward to pray, even before Billy gave an invitation. At the end of the sermon, practically the entire crowd rushed forward. My own heart was so moved by Billy's authority and strength, I could hardly drive home, Olford remembers. When I came in the door, my father looked at my face and said, what on earth happened? I sat down at the kitchen table and said, Dad, something has happened to Billy Graham. The world is going to hear from this man. Amen. How cool is that? So again, man, this is a message for Christians. I want to see you equipped with the power you need that God wants to give you to do ministry, to help lead other people into life change through Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to close with this. I said I was closing before, but that was, that was not true. <laughs> so let me just go, let me just go over some stuff. <laughs> okay, pull it together, Ryan. <laughs> let me just go over a couple of analogies from the Old Testament. I'm talking about salvation and water and the Holy Spirit. Deuteronomy 18, Acts chapter 3, you see this reference to Moses as a type of Savior. He wasn't the Savior like Jesus, but he was a type of Savior because he led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. Okay, so remember that Moses is a type of Savior. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. 
says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. This is kind of a a complicated verse to understand, but you have to understand what happened in the Old Testament. Our fathers, the Hebrew people coming out of Egypt, were under the cloud. God sent the Holy Spirit to lead his people as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. All passed through the sea. That was when they went through the Red Sea coming out of Egypt. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So Moses was their savior who led them through the sea. And they were led by the cloud. Okay, so you see that imagery that's there. And these things kind of repeat themselves. I want to show you something else. That in the Old Testament, oftentimes, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, which I think is appropriate because oil makes everything better. Amen? I love everything cooked in oil, and so it's good that oil represents the Holy Spirit. Amen? So in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, it says, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel the prophet, he took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Do you see that connection between oil and the Holy Spirit? This wasn't like essential oil. It was just olive oil. But it brought the Holy Spirit upon, upon David. Okay, so there's a connection there. All right, so now I want to show you the picture of the tabernacle. This is the Old Testament tent of meeting called the tabernacle sometimes, which means tent of meeting, where God's presence would meet with the high priest in the Old Testament times. I drew this picture for you. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. Uh, I just took it off Google Images. But, but this is like a cutout of what the tabernacle kind of looks like. And so if you wanted to meet with God, there was some specific steps you had to take. If you wanted to come into God's presence, you had to do things a certain way. Just like today, there's only one way to God, through Jesus. Okay, so in this time, if you wanted to come into God's presence in the Holy of Holies, you had to do specific things. First, you had to make a sacrifice on the altar. There had to be blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Then you had to wash in this bronze water basin, and that was symbolic of washing sin away. Then, inside the outer courts of the tent of meeting, you had to be anointed with oil, which represented the Holy Spirit's presence upon you. Then you could go into God's presence. And so think about how how this is so representative of what, what, what we go through today. The blood has to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Does that remind you of anything? Jesus' blood being shed as the perfect final sacrifice. We have to be washed in water. Jesus told us, be baptized in water. The Bible tells us, be baptized in water. It's a sign, but it's more than a sign. It shows you're washed clean. You're a new creation. And then God wants to pour his Holy Spirit out upon us, anoint us with the Holy Spirit. But a lot of people, what they do is they say, I want God's presence in my life. I want God's power in my life. You know, I'm okay with Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. I'm okay with getting baptized in water if the water's warm. But then what they want to do oftentimes is skip the Holy Spirit because he's weird. Or I've seen some weird stuff. And they, they want to bypass that part of the process. But you, I think you should understand this, that in the Old Testament times, if you went into God's presence the wrong way, you died. Am I telling the truth? Yeah. It's true, like you did. The high priest would actually have a rope tied around his ankle, and that way they could drag him out if he died. Well, wouldn't that be funny if they did that to me today, you know? Like if my sermon wasn't good, you could just start pulling me off the stage. 
right? But so for, fortunately now, like, you're not going to die if you come to church the wrong way. Isn't that good? Okay, good. That's, that's good. But then, so I, I want to see you receive all that God has for you. Receive Jesus in the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized with water. It's an important step in your journey. And then open your heart up to being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to ask, like, I know people have, you know, apprehensions about this sometimes, but I just got to say, if the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus as a gift, you know it's got to be good, right? And, and how is having more of the Holy Spirit in your life going to do anything other than help you? What could it hurt? Let's stand to our feet at this time, those of you in Mesa and in Ahwatukee. So let me say this again. Really, this is a message that's kind of geared for Christians. That's what this message is for. But I just want to say this quickly, that if you're here and you're not a Christian or if you're part of our online campus and you're not yet a believer in Jesus, then just take that first step. The first step to receiving power is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you just do it by, by saying to God, like, God, I need forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And I want to follow him from this day forward. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And if you pray that and mean that, you will be saved. You can do that even right now, even right now while I'm talking, wherever you're at. But then I want to talk to Christians today, okay? I think that God wants to see you receive the promise. I think he wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit so that you can have the power you need to make a difference in this world for Jesus. And again, I would just ask, like, what do you have to lose? No one's going to try to make you do anything weird or awkward or ask you to lose control and become a crazy person. We're talking about the Holy Spirit of God. Having more of him in your life could only be a good thing. Do you agree? Okay, so I'm just going to lead us in prayer, and I'm going to invite you to do this if you want to, if you're comfortable. But let's just bow our heads and close our eyes wherever we're at. And then if you want, just raise your arms like this. Just lift your hands with me as a sign of being ready to receive. I think sometimes it's just good to physically respond to represent what's happening in our heart, to solidify this moment. And then just pray this prayer with me. You can just repeat after me and just say, Jesus, I ask you to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I ask you for power to live for you and to share the good news with others. I receive it by faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.